0: Please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading this book will make you dangerous. And now, let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is Men's Coach Trip Lemire. What if life and work
1: could be less draining? Do you ever catch yourself taking things too seriously? And what if you didn't depend on fear or scarcity for motivation? Coach, speaker, and author Jason Goldberg is here to discuss the dangers of taking ourselves too seriously. We dive into what life could look like if we weren't afraid of negative emotions. We discuss the real power that comes from putting fear into perspective and why true peace of mind Comes from remembering that we can take a punch today you know i wanted to talk about play and fun and um, it's a core thing for me it's a it's and it's i i'm guessing it's a core thing for you and helping people do what they do better so i thought we could just riff on that stuff because typically when things get serious we don't have we don't find our playfulness and and I, i think it makes it makes me a liability when i get my head up my ass so
2: that works for me man we have i mean obviously we have a lot in common i started diving into your book by the way it's awesome love it thanks so much for sending that over okay. uh, it's really really well written man it's really really awesome i'm, I'm really digging it we have a lot of the same uh perspectives on stuff so it's, it's an easy read for me because i'm like yeah fuck yeah that.
1: Great. that yeah. oh that's cool that was,
2: that was awesome yeah i'm was glad really to hear i figured if you yeah. could get
1: through that you know that uh introduction's a little polarizing so uh We'll see. Uh,
2: I I didn't feel like it was. I I mean, well, I guess maybe that's
1: because I agree. Oh, this guy's talking about a finger in his ass already. Wow. Normally it's the third date. uh, Well, when did you, when did you start? All right, let's just go. All right. When did you you start coaching? Because you were in the corporate world and then you got into coaching. What was, how did you get into that?
2: Yeah, so I did a corporate thing for uh, 15, 15 or so years. I was in uh, corporate IT for the basically all of that. Uh, In the last seven of those years, I was working for what's called an MSP, a managed service provider. So we were like the outsourced IT department for a bunch of like small and medium sized companies all over the, mainly uh, the the East coast, but some that were in the Midwest and stuff. And, uh, And so the last seven years, I was the director of engineering and operations for that company. And so that was more of a consultancy role. And then I left in 2011, to start my first startup, which was a transportation uh, transportation based startup. And uh, we had some really good traction with that too. It was, it was great, we got a lot of, we won some awards uh, in our local market, and we had like the CEO of Priceline.com on our advisory board, and, and some really cool stuff we were doing. This is while I was in grad school. Uh, And then after that startup, I moved on and started another company in partnership with NASA and the space shuttle program, like a technology commercialization company. So I did that as well with a a team of guys for, I guess, about 18 months. And throughout all of that, though, I had been super into personal growth, super into like getting coached and like being in that world. And all these things were exciting to me. And they were like things that I got to, to build and to get stories from and to learn more about myself and all that stuff but, but I realized it wasn't, it, it wasn't scratching the itch. It wasn't, you know, the, the, the lit upness wasn't there as much for me, um, because I wasn't doing what I know to be a major value of mine. And it's, and it's in the realm of performance and teaching and, and things like that. So there was a little bit of there, you know, that, in like, um, investor presentations and whatnot, but I wasn't like really like living my, my genius zone of performing. And so, yeah. um, that's when I moved over into coaching, had I known, uh, I, I didn't know what it was going to look like. I just knew that I love personal growth, and I wanted to be in some some role where I could try to help others do what had done, been done with me or for me or however you want to say it with the coaching I had had for, for myself. Um, and so, you know, I kind of stumbled into coaching, and and so that's how I started with uh, the whole coaching thing.
1: Now, were you what was going on for me? I remember when I I had a I had my own company years ago but I, it, for years I had a I was really into the personal growth spiritual growth all of that I mean I was I was a full on going to retreats on a weekend but I was in the closet like I wasn't really telling people that I was into that stuff were you yeah. out and about and saying hey I'm loving this book and you guys should try this book or and, or or were you kind of hiding it what was what was your version of that
2: Oh yeah I'm sure I was one of those annoying people that was a fucking zealot it was like <laughs> what do you mean you haven't read think and grow rich you <laughs> idiot. Like, like you just read I, it
1: and now you're the guy that's like I you just, can't believe <laughs>
2: I just read it and I'm like, I'm Napoleon Hill's third fucking cousin. Uh, so uh, yeah. I actually hated that book, by the way, because when you're when you're just starting off in personal growth, to read a book that the entire time keeps telling you, by now you probably have heard the secret of what I'm trying to share with you. I'm like, no, fucker, I, I haven't. Like, tell yeah. me the thing. Tell me. So that was my that was my first personal growth book. But no, I was I was pretty open about it. It was actually, you know, honestly, dude, I can trace back the real kind of turning point for me in, in that, like I was in my first startup at that point, um, I had gotten into personal growth in in 2009 when I started kind of dabbling and reading about it and, and even dabbling and looking at coaching, but it was more coaching for internal employees, like my team members, as opposed to like coaching as we know it or as we practice. Uh, but, but it was really interesting because I can actually remember I was in my first startup, I was in an incubator, I was in a business incubator, and there was a guy that came in, this guy, Richie Sloan, Uh, he came in and he was doing a, uh, the incubator would bring people in for like little classes and little like, you know, in service kind of things. And, uh, And it was kind of like a purpose and mission and vision and values kind of a little training, like a half day thing. And it was free for whoever wanted to go, that was part of the incubator. So I go with my two business partners and we're doing the thing. And it's all stuff that we would probably consider kind of one-on-one stuff. Like, you know, what's important to you? What are your values and fundamental shit that like we should be revisiting, even if it seems fundamental. Um, and, and I remember just being in there and being like, dude, what this guy's doing, this ah. is the thing I want to do. Right. So I was like, Richie, let me take you to lunch. Uh, and so, uh, so I took him to lunch and he's the sweetest guy in the world. And, uh, and we're just sitting there, we're having lunch. And he's like, I have a gift for you. I'm like, cool. What's the gift? And it gives me a USB drive, and the USB drive has Brian Johnson's Philosophers Notes on it. Okay, and I've never heard of Brian Johnson. I'm guessing you're familiar with Brian Johnson and Philosophers Notes and all that stuff. Yeah, much, yeah, yeah, you know this. very much. Yeah, so I get the Philosophers Notes stuff, and I start like reading through it and loving it, and from there, that's actually how I found Mind Valley. Mm. So, like, I became a fan of Mind Valley in 2011, having no idea that nine years later I would be, you know, a big part of that ecosystem. Uh, but but it was Richie. It was Richie giving that thing, uh, that that presentation, and then giving me that USB drive that really sent me down the rabbit hole.
1: I'll have to share that story with Brian. I think he'll appreciate it. I remember getting those, he sent me one of those in the mail at one point, too. So, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So
2: awesome. So, Brian, I've met Brian once. Uh, he came to one of Chandler's ACS. Uh, meetings and then we got to meet and he was just the sweetest guy in the world.
1: Let's talk about playfulness because that's one of the things yeah. I appreciate about you. And <clears throat> I notice, for me, if I'm in a room and there's nobody else in the room that wants to play, I get, I, I just get drained. And so I'm always looking for that guy who wants to <laughs> stir up some shit with me. But I, I think that it's, it's less of uh for me, it's, it's more of, um, I have a hard time trusting people if they can't play. And when I came across Dr. Peter Gray's work a while back, he studies mammals and why they play. He says, that's how we build bonds. That's how we exercise our, our ability to take risks. And he, he showed why it's in our DNA to play. And so I'm curious for you, what's your relationship to play or a playfulness? It, because I think most of us are like, well, here's work and then there's play. We have these huge lines in between but then i hear constantly guys are like i'm so drained by my work i don't look forward to anything i was like well why would you there's nothing there's nothing right. that you really enjoy about it there's nothing playful about it so i'm curious for you i've always wanted to know what your relationship is to a playful attitude in your work cuz what we do is very serious it has there's a lot of high stakes in what we do so we're not just you know screwing around so yeah tell me a little right. bit about your how you how you approach playfulness in your work
2: yeah, it's. I love the way you the way you talked about it because I I have started. It's, it's so funny the the way I'm going to talk about this doesn't sound very playful. Uh, in in some ways I, I I don't resent the term playfulness, but I just feel like the way it's portrayed a lot out in the world, um, it doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel relatable. It doesn't feel pragmatic. And what I mean by that is I've had people that I've seen that are playful. And what they do is it just feels like a, it's a disregard of sincerity in the name of goofiness and silliness. And, and I'm not sure if that makes sense, but, but what I mean by that is that there is a, uh, an Alan Watts distinction, which is one of my favorite distinctions ever is he says the opposite of serious is sincere, right? So the opposite of serious is not like, Aimless, wandering, getting drunk all day, fucking around, throwing water balloons at the coworkers. Like, I mean, that can be a version of play, I guess. But when he talks about sincerity being the opposite of, of seriousness, that really struck me because for me, when I think about playfulness, especially as it relates to work, I want to be as sincere and devoted and committed to my work as possible. I just don't want to hold it with the same level of significance that I do when I'm in my serious mode and trip dude, by default, my mode is serious when it comes to work. Like I, I, I take myself way too fucking seriously and everything feels like a fire and all this other stuff. If I am not intentional about, okay, do I need to bring more sincerity to this, this project going on? And and once I get into a place of sincerity, it's, What energy do I need to bring along with sincerity so that I can actually do this at a high level? And for me, I know that's enthusiasm. So for me, my relationship to play is actually more about enthusiasm than Mm -hmm. about play. Uh, Play, I want to bring a spirit of play. Play to me is more a spirit than it is an activity, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think so. I love that distinction between sincerity and seriousness. When I think about being serious... Um, I tend to think of a fear-based mentality, it, and it's all in a spectrum, right? But but there's a thing like I gotta get this right. Like even right now, as I said that, I'm 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 clenching my fist, and there's a white knuckling, and I'm imagining anybody that's out there and is like, hey, I'm in a, I've got to be in a creative space. I need these ideas. I need to be able to experiment and flow. It's like, okay, let's clench everything up, and all of a sudden, where does that flow go? So. Uh, I like that. I can be sincere about this. I can be really, really devoted to this, but at the same time I can loosen up so that, so that ideas can flow. I don't have to take things so seriously. Even if things go off the rails, I'll figure it out. I can, I can do something about that. And I think that that, at least for me, that invites a whole other host of all kinds of mental and, and, you know, emotional powers that I can bring to what I'm doing. Is that what you're saying? Oh,
2: dude. No, yeah, no, a thousand percent. I think you said it beautifully. And I think that's the, that's the key of really recognizing that I, so, so I'm somebody who has struggled with uh, anxiety and stress and depression my entire life. And I would love to say that like all the work I've done on myself and all the personal growth and the books and all this stuff that make, that makes me immune to all that stuff now, but it doesn't. Uh, and and I've, I've come to the realization and I don't know if it's, if it's trauma-based, uh, uh, you know, I I've thought about doing EMDR and there's all this stuff. I have come to the realization, and I'm fine with it, that I am somebody who may be prone to stress, anxiety, and depression. Cool. So if I accept that about myself, one of my mantras is "So what? Now what?" Right? So what? Now what? So if I accept that, that's a condition of the game that I'm playing. Right? If I'm if I'm if I'm playing Monopoly, and I say, "Nope," I refuse to believe that there is a go to jail card. No, that's I mean, it's stupid. It's it's there, right? So what? It's there. It exists. Now what? What do I want to do with it? So if I can, if I know that my set point is that you know, they say, uh, uh, in times of crisis, you don't rise to the level of your your possibilities, you sink to the level of your training. right? So if I know that that may be a set point for me that left my own devices, I will go into seriousness, stress, anxiety, depression. Then the question becomes: How do I become more proficient at navigating that? Even me, and I actually feel like that's part of a gift that I've been given from the universe, so that I don't get too arrogant or cocky about being a self-leader or about being playful to make sure I don't forget where I came from. Easy. Everybody can do it. Fuck yeah, everybody. I hate that shit. (laughs) Uh, I can't stand. I'm the guy on the
1: stage. I've got it all figured out.
2: The only person I give a pass, the only person is Byron Katie, but that's because I think she's not human, and I just I love her, and I have a little bit of a crush on her, which I think is a little weird because she's in her seventies, or maybe it's not. But um, so, well, she's, so she's. I think cute. there's this
1: website out there that that caters to that.
2: There may be a website that I'm a lifetime member of. Um, so, so, uh, so, so for me, it's like cool. So if that is potentially my set point, and this is not one of those things i saying, oh, that's who I am. That's my permanent disorder. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not. I'm not shaming myself for having a, a propensity towards those things. But I do want to say, cool. So then, what is the? What is the lens through which I need to view my life, my business, my relationships, my body, my relationship to money, my relationship to food, my relationship to dating, whatever the relationship is, to make sure that none of those things are the center of my universe. Because if anything is treated like the center of my universe, then I am going to try to protect it from failing and falling apart at all costs, including my mental health, including my person, my physical health, including right. my relationship. Everything has the chance to be thrown away because this thing is the center of my universe. So for me, play is about saying, how can I play with the experience that I'm feeling right now? How can I play with these thoughts that are in my head? How can I use my life, as SD Chandler would say, instead of being used by my life? So that's kind of my, my take on play is like, what is the, you know, given the conditions of the game that we're playing right now, what would I love to create?
1: Right. Yeah. I, I love that. There's a, there's an element of, instead of resisting what is right, that's the root of all suffering is to come back and, and to even expect it. So what I'm hearing from you is I expect myself to kind of go on a spiral from time to time. That's the nature of who I am. But that doesn't mean I have to like, why is this happening? And why, why you know, get caught up into that aspect. It's like, okay, well, this is what I can expect. This is what's happening now. What do I want to want to do about it? Like I, I've an understanding of my thing where I'll withdraw, like there's a, there's a stimulus, right? Like I had a health care. I got a health scare going on right now. Right? So I'm waiting for, to hear from this doctor about something. And it's just like, I can get, I just know I get spun out. I get pissed off. That's my first thing I get is get mad. And it's like, okay, I know I'm going to get mad. And then there's another phase of just like the sadness is like, oh man, this is a bummer. And then it's like, all right, I just surrender. It's, there's like, okay, cool. What are we going to do about it? But if you understand that that's how the wave impacts or that's how we're impacted by things that gives me a sense of peace. Instead of am I always going to feel this way? Am I always going to feel stressed out, anxious, angry, sad, whatever that thing might be? Because I think that's a big reason why we avoid those feelings or we want to use humor to deflect from those feelings is because it's like, I'm afraid I'm always, if I allow myself to feel this, I'm always going to feel this way or get stuck in that. Do you ever feel, have that fear that you might get stuck in there? Or was that ever a part of your thing? Totally.
2: Totally, man. And that's, and again, that's why, and I love what you say that this, that is why I think you just brought even more awareness to, to my challenge with talking about play sometimes is because to me, sometimes it presupposes that if you have access to play, then you never experience the other side of it. And either that, then anybody who doesn't experience any level of stress or anxiety or anger or depression or or just sadness in general, they're probably either heavily medicated or or sociopathic. So I don't, I don't want to necessarily think that's the case. So instead, though, it's exactly what you said. If I, if if we were given, like literally at birth, if we were given, or maybe we're a little bit older and we can understand, a list, and it said, "Hey, listen, just so you know, here are the exact dates and times from now to the day you die that something really challenging is going to happen to you." Like this thing is gonna happen on uh, December 14th, uh, 2009. And this is gonna happen on March uh, 22nd, on 2013. And you have all the stuff there. If you knew all that stuff and you saw ahead of time, then when it came up on March 22nd, you'd say, oh, there's that thing. I, I was expecting that. This was okay, coming. And, this, and I knew it, and it sucks. It fucking sucks. I, just because I knew it was coming doesn't mean it doesn't suck. But I also knew it was coming, and I also see that there's a whole other gap now between March 22nd of 2014 and, and April 13th of 2017, where I'm going to have a pretty good gap of like some pretty good shit happening in my life, yeah. so it's okay. So if we don't look at it as being permanent and pervasive, and instead we can start asking ourselves questions, especially in the moment, um, not to bypass, but instead to look at what, we, what we're we seeing as a problem and see if there's a way we can look at it where it's no longer problematic, Right. Because that's one of the challenges and, and I'm a problem solver. I mean, I come from a tech background. We don't we don't uh, meditate on technology programs, you know, problems. When a when a phone system goes down in the hospital, we don't say, We're gonna go for a walk for twenty minutes and we're gonna let spirit guide us on how we're going
1: you, know, <laughs> you, you don't so, have crystals you don't have your tech crystals. <laughs>
2: I you know, I got all the yoni eggs with all the jade crystals <laughs> that have been blessed by shamans and still the fucking phones wouldn't work. Hey, hear so, me out on
1: the tech tarot cards, all right? Just hear me out. Like let me Tech tarot. Ooh, tech, tarot. tech
2: tarot cards, <laughs> and I love alliteration, so I'm so in right now, dude, I'm, I'm going to invest in it's that. It's so hot
1: right now. Okay, it's,
2: it's so hot. That, that's the thing. Uh, so, so here's here's what I what I started doing, and this was totally by accident, As I created this thing. It's funny. It didn't even go into my book. It's a thing called PBQs, and PBQs stand for prison break questions, right? So my book is prison break, but it wasn't even in the book, so now I just share it like on podcasts like this. And... The idea of a prison break question is that it's really just an incisive question that essentially asks you, uh, if there was a formula for it or a format for it, it would be, if I knew, what would I do, right? So it's not about solving the problem. It's about making the problem no longer problematic. And there are as many of those as you could possibly think of. You can make them up in the moment. The very first one I ever created when I was feeling um, a lot of um, uh, worry about judgment and and, and worry that people were going to think I, I was an idiot or I was an imposter is I came up with this prison break question. If I knew if I knew that I was 100% loved, accepted, and supported, how would I show up in this moment, right? So like really understanding that it's not about whether people may reject me or, or may think I'm an imposter. If I knew beyond all of their, their statements that I was 100% loved, supported, and accepted, how would I show up differently? It changed the way I approached it. And the, way I, the reason I bring that up is because in these moments where we feel this like deep sadness or this anger or this depression or all the things we don't want to feel and we wish they would just go the hell away, that happened to me one day. I remember this is when I was still living in Raleigh, and I just was feeling all this heaviness, all this seriousness, and I'm using all the tools that I have and anything that's related to reframing or going on a walk or meditating, doing all the things, and nothing is helping and so I'm, I'm going on this walk and, and, and I'm just really, really just up in my head about the whole thing and just wishing all of this would go away and not knowing how to solve it. And a PBQ uh, uh, occurred to me in the moment. And the PBQ was, if I knew this feeling was going to last for exactly the next 10 minutes, that at minute 11, it was going to vanish on its own. But if I knew it was going to last for exactly the next 10 minutes, how would I treat myself for the next 10 minutes? And when I asked myself that question, the immediate answer was, oh fuck, I'd be way more compassionate, way more gentle, way less hard on myself. And as I I let that kind of sink in as I was walking, I felt this sense of peace. I felt this sense of ease kind of wash over me. And it didn't go away in 10 minutes. Maybe it was like an hour or two. But the fact that I was no longer resisting it and I was putting this kind of mental frame around, hey, this thing is not permanent. Just like we were talking about, it's not something I'm not going to ever get over. The only evidence I have is that there's nothing I've been through that I haven't gotten through because I'm having this experience in this moment. So that's what evidence shows me. That question has helped me to, to see that and make that time period no longer problematic, if that makes sense.
1: It does make sense. The thing I'm taking away about this is that we can, if we zoom out and, and think about playfulness again, is that we can only be playful when we realize that we're going to be Okay whatever yeah. that might mean when we're convinced yeah. we're not going to be okay then that's where things feel like that's where they th- they feel final they feel stuck they feel fixed yeah. and i think that's a great I, what i'm getting from your questions is this is finite it helps the it helps us realize hey this sucks yes we're not going to you know try to paint that any other way but is this going to last forever am i going to be stuck in this place forever and i think there's a realization like No, I'm not. And so there's. It sounds like when you ask those questions to yourself, and you start to, it starts to loosen that thing up. Where, okay, well then I can start to relax. I don't have to pile on this this whole other layer of tension and stress and striving, trying to change the moment. Instead, I can kind of ragdoll with this and and roll with it because I know eventually I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to be okay. And and it's helpful to find the evidence for that to look in our past and say. Hey, look! I've fallen down here. I, I took a punch here. I got the rug pulled out from under me here, and I got up every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, And if we're if it seems like this is where we got to watch out for this type of thinking as a habit, where this kind of doomsday thinking, or well, yeah, but I got up b- before, but not this time. Do you ever get into those places where, at least for me, I can forget? Like, oh man, well this is this time is for real. Like this this is the one that's going to knock me yeah. out. Yeah.
2: Of course, cool. well, of course, because especially if you feel like the stakes are higher, uh, and, and the and the aperture of, of of the lens through which you're looking gets smaller and smaller and becomes like a pinhole, then yeah, it's it's going to look very 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 clear, very obvious, very ominous, very terminal, uh, and and that's just kind of the experience of of what it feels like in that moment. I I totally get that, and that's why it's so important to slow down, like and even to notice. For me, I, I had and this is something I I had 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 a lot of struggle with. Um, is noticing where things are are occurring in my body, and as somebody who was overweight my entire life, when I got up to you know 330 pounds in my 20s, uh, I very purposefully disconnected from my body uh, because I had a lot of shame around my body, and my body was an asshole, and look what my body's doing to me, and it's causing me all these issues and all these things. So I disconnected from my body. So it was such a practice for me to start realizing, like when I'm in these moments of thinking something's terminal or permanent or pervasive, or I'm not going to get up this time is to notice like that my shoulders are, are up higher or that I'm feeling like tension in my chest and and to purposefully like really ask myself, like what if I just got stupid relaxed in this moment? Just for, like five seconds. What if I just got like dumb, ridiculously relaxed? And even just like the one inch drop in my shoulders, it starts to slow down my entire system. And, and, and you know, Katie talks about this, Byron Katie talks about this, a clear, calm mind knows exactly what to do next. Right. A clear, calm mind knows exactly what to do next. We know this when we're like hangry and we like snap at people and then we finally eat something and we're like, Oh dude, trip. I'm so sorry that I lashed out at you. dude. I don't know what the fuck is wrong. I was just starving. It's like, you know, you have the moment of clarity, but you can't have the moment of clarity when you're hangry. Right, you can't. It just doesn't work that way. So you got to slow down, pop a Snickers or whatever you have to do, uh, and then and then everything goes a lot better. So yeah, it's totally recognizing that there there's nothing you've been through that you haven't gotten through. Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, I look at what people are doing when they when they're seeking quote success. Most of us are are seeking a finish line version, right? Which is once I get to here, then I'll be set. And when I when I when I've gotten curious about that, or even when I hear in my, there's this, my mind I can feel it latch on to yes, that's going to be the place. Well, it's where I'm going to be. Finally, I'm going to be comfortable and safe and accepted once and for all. There's this place. like I, Then I can finally be at peace. I won't be in this uncertainty. I won't have to face any of this vulnerability. I won't have to feel this fear anymore. And so instead of this, this fantasy world where we've built this castle and we're now walled off from anything that's dangerous, which never comes by the way, right? That's the hamster yeah. wheel. That's the thing that drives us into the ground is, oh my God, what do you mean? I'm still having to deal with X, Y, Z. I'm X years old and I busted my ass for whatever. That That's where we live in that perpetual state of anxiety. But what we're talking about here is this, hey, I, I've been through this and I can get through this. There, that's where the peace comes from. It's like, okay, I'll be fine. So I may not need to have X million in the bank or my company over here or my status to be at this level. My sense of okayness is not dependent upon those things. Um and I find that that the peace of mind we're ultimately seeking is a lot closer when we recognize that we can when we can get knocked down and 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 then get back up again. It's a pain in the ass. I don't want to get knocked down. I don't want to get punched, but we we can. And I I, I say these words and I am i can feel the tension like, oh my God, this is mean I'm going to get, right? Like when's the next punch yeah. coming? It's like, I don't want that. But nonetheless, I think that's where the deep peace of mind that that we ultimately want comes from, not from crossing that magical finish line one day.
2: Right, because it, it never happens. I mean, like you know, uh, Jim Carrey, I think it was Jim Carrey that said this. I always quote him saying this. So if he didn't say it, he's getting a lot of credit for nothing. Um, but he said, I'm pretty sure he's the one that said something to the effect of, I hope everybody makes all the money and gets all the fame they ever wanted so they can see it still doesn't make them happy. Right. Yeah. Because it's it's really the thing. You I, I really believe and it sucks, but, but it wouldn't have worked for me either. You can't tell somebody, hey, you're not gonna be happy. You think you're gonna be happy when you make this money and you have this, it's not gonna last. Like you're not gonna be happy. They say, Yeah, yeah, fine, I'll find out on my own. Let me do it on my, Let me on my get
1: own. there. Let me go get the yeah, all right. stuff. <laughs> right,
2: right. and there is a certain set point, right? I you know, I never wanna say and this is something that I think, and maybe it means I'm not spiritually evolved enough. But I, I really dislike it when there are certain um, gurus in the industry that don't take into account that like, there is a certain level of security that we need, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? For There's sure. a certain level of things. People who like have, have, can't pay their rent and are not sure where they're going to get their next meal. Um, they don't need to meditate more, right? Like that's not, that's not the thing. Not that it won't help, and it, won't, it won't help them, but that's not the thing. But for the rest of us that are, you know, for the most part, we know where we're sleeping, we know where we're eating, we're fairly healthy for the most part. Then it is about doing all this stuff that we're talking about here and, and not getting so wrapped up in in what we think is permanent.
1: Let's talk, Let's shift gears a little bit. So we're talking about some of the more, I would say, acute phases, right, where we go through an acute event. And then what happens when we're in a chronic state where... Maybe we're in that job and it's year two, year three, where we're telling ourselves, maybe next year I'm going to get out, or maybe you know what, are the in a relationship where we're kind of like, oh man, this is past the due date, and I'm. So it, it has this more chronic sense of drain. We've we've lost our sense of playfulness there. I'm wondering how we could help the listener who might be more in that kind of a state find his playfulness, start to find a, a more creative mindset uh, instead of getting kind of lost in, well, it's just, it's not that bad, you know, it could be worse, but nonetheless, he's not really aligned. I don't know if that would dovetail into your early experience or your early conversation, uh, where we started the conversation.
2: Yeah, no, for sure. And and I think there's, um, there's another kind of misconception, uh, uh, well-intentioned, but, but a misconception that transformation requires massive change, right? Like if you are in a dead end job, the only way to transform is to fucking burn your boats and go do the thing, and, and I am much more conservative uh, financially, at least uh, than that. I am not the guy that says mortgage your house and hope for the best.
1: Uh, it's really hard. To, it's really hard to grow when you're terrified. Right?
2: <laughs> There's already so much stress in like starting a business, so much uncertainty in starting a business. Let's just layer some other shit on top of that. Let's yeah. just you know make it even worse for ourselves.
1: Let's throw uh, grenades and- at you, and, and and then you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna develop your business plan. <laughs>
2: Grenades that have been dipped in chlamydia. Like let's really, <laughs> let's really get you. there. Uh, I hate those, man. I hate those too. They're yeah. so bad. Oh god. The, the stains on my couch from those grenades. It's spring just been terrible. Spring oh, god, break. I miss spring college. I miss college. Yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. Spring Break '99. And I'll tell you, they could <laughs> just such a bitch. Uh, so, but I think with the with the chronic thing, though, I think that's the first step. Is like it doesn't have to be a massive thing. You know, one one of the reasons there's people that a lot will talk about, um, you know, uh, one of the examples that people use a lot and people include me, uh, is, you know, dealing with being cut off in traffic, right. And like, you know, understanding how to relate to the fact that somebody cut you off in traffic and, and not spiritually bypassing and saying, Oh, he didn't cut me off. He, you know, he liberated me from my speed. We're not talking about like, you know, talking stupid shit like that, but about, you know, just kind of looking at that and understanding like, okay, you know that that was supposed to happen that way because it happened if it wasn't supposed to happen that way it wouldn't have happened that way and people say well what the who fucking cares like if i get a little mad that somebody cut me off in traffic i get over it eventually why do i have to do that work and it's because we think that we cannot do the work on the little things and then somehow miraculously we can turn it on for the big things right and you know there's a reason and i'm not a sports guy at all but i know a few things about sports there's a reason that you know the guys in baseball who are on deck are swinging around five bats before they go up to bat right it's because they get the heaviness of all five so that when they drop the four and they just, just swing the one, that one's way easier to deal with. And I think the same thing happens here. If something feels chronic, um, what it is, uh, you know, it could be said that my my weight was a chronic, uh, a chronic um, uh, situation that I was 130 pounds overweight. And so when people say, how did you lose 130 pounds? I say, I didn't. I lost one pound 130 times, right? I really can chunk that down. Chunk, no pun intended. I can really chunk that down. And so for people who are like in a dead end job or what feels like a dead end job, or they're in a relationship that just doesn't feel right to them, there has to be ways to find little, little entry points to feel whatever it is you want to feel. Right. And, and, and it's this distinction of like while versus when. Like, I'll, I'll find peace when I have this thing versus I'll find peace while I'm doing this thing, right? I'll, I'll create the peace while I'm doing it instead yeah. of waiting for peace when I'm doing it. Yeah. So if I'm looking at my job, I either want to find what is the thing that I would love to do. Like, if I was going to take massive action and leave my job, what would it be? They say, okay, oh, I would love to uh, I'd love to open a coffee shop. Okay, cool. So that that's my thing. Cool. Then you should leave your job and start a coffee shop. No. I want to look at a couple of things. Number one, I want to look at what is it about my current position or my current job that I could learn, that I could I could take forward with me because success leaves clues, and I could learn certain things on somebody else's dime. I can start asking people around the office, you know, what do they love about coffee shops? What's their favorite coffee shop? What do they think is missing from coffee shops? I can start using it for market research, and at the same time, I can make sure that any off time I have, I'm immersing myself in what it looks like to have a coffee shop. Because even if you don't actually do it, you know, Gary V talks about this. He is much more excited about his journey to buy the Jets than actually owning the Jets. He knows that owning the Jets actually won't be that fun. But his journey of doing that keeps him in a place of excitement, enthusiasm, play. So I want to find what are the small ways that I can start to activate and light up my playfulness or my my innovation or my creativity or my desires in the position I'm in now instead of trying to wait till I change my position to start feeling it.
1: That's a huge distinction. You know, I often find that when I'm talking to somebody and they, they'll they use that big dramatic shift as a, an excuse. Well, I can't, I can't do ABC. It's too risky for blah, blah, blah. And I can't, you know, I don't have this thing. It's like, Well, what would be the first few things you would do if that, if you could, right? If that, if let's say you made that big shift and now you're ready to finally put both feet into that. And they realize it's the little things like you're talking about. It's, It's the little tiny things that would be rather mundane and they didn't need to quit their job in order to do them. It's conversations, it's research, it's going to this conference over here. Whatever those little things are, you don't need to quit your job to do that stuff. But you can always tell when you're full of shit and you're using that big dramatic change as a uh, crutch. Like, oh, I'm I'm being the good father. I'm being the noble family man by not taking this big risk. It's like, nah, you could get started now and you don't really, it's not that dangerous. So, And it might be a way to feed you to find some aliveness and, and to and to actually see what dr- what what is driving you about this idea instead of getting stuck in this thing like once once one one day when I'm then in, in there I'll finally feel like I can escape or whatever that thing is. It becomes this uh magical fairy tale kind of thing. Um totally. Let's talk a little bit about this aliveness. In my book, I, I sent you a copy and um I, I talk about if we were to break things down a bit, we could we could loosely think about things in, in terms of four groups of the experiences we want of freedom, aliveness, love, and all of that adds up to peace of mind. And I, I run into a lot of guys that are, have, are enjoying a certain amount of stability in their lives. And maybe that's getting rocked right now with some of the, the circumstances we're in. Um, and they've got a lot of love. They become family type people and, and there's this sense of like, well, wait a second. Why am I not having peace of mind? I should be grateful. I've got a, I've got this happening over here and it's going okay. And, uh, you know, things with my family are okay. They've left out aliveness. They've left out that thing that has them feel like, yeah. And that's usually what they get with being playful with their buddies or doing something on their own. They've left all of that behind. And so if we don't, without aliveness we're not going to have peace of mind because it's not the job of our, I think, I think a lot of us look to our careers to give us that aliveness, or we look to our families to somehow check that box, but it's really not that at all. So I'm curious for you, I don't know if you would use the term aliveness or not, but that, that zing, that zest, like, where do you, where do you look for that in your life? And where do you cultivate that instead of waiting for it someday?
2: Totally. No, I love that. Yeah. And for me, yeah, no, I I love, I love the term aliveness and, and I, you know, I, I would say like lit up. Um, and you know, and it's, and and I love to use aliveness too, because my, my very favorite quote in the world, that's kind of the guiding principle for kind of the way I show up and for my business is the Howard Thurman quote, which I'm sure you've heard a billion times. Uh, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and then go do that because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. And and it's, it's, it really, it hits home for me because I, I know that every single person on this planet, at least this planet, maybe other ones too, uh, is, is able to activate something in other people. Okay. And, and when I, when I first started getting into coaching, I had this, this really deep desire to figure out what was my thing, but it's going to be right. Like Tony Robbins has his thing and Byron Katie has her thing and like everybody has their thing that they can like hang their hat on. And I put so much pressure on myself to find my thing, like what I would be known for. Right. I was like, as soon as I find what I'm known for, then my business will really take off. And it kept getting reflected to me over and over again as I was building my business and doing podcasts or doing interviews, doing whatever, that what kept getting reflected to me was that I was an activator of joy for other people, right? Like they they would talk or we would talk together and they would leave our conversation feeling more joyful or more playful or like they had permission to do something and they thought they needed permission and they felt that permission once we finished talking or, or that something was simpler than, than what it was before we talked. And, and I used to always push that away because that's not impressive. Right? That's, what you mean? You, you yeah, you, I, make, I make you joyful. Oh, but you're no, the joy guy? Smart guy. Yeah, I want to be the smart guy. <laughs> no, tell me how my five part framework changed your life. That's what I want to know, right? Because then I'd be known for something. And, and it finally, it actually happened when it really landed for me. I was actually on a press tour for Prison Break when it came out. And it was my, one of my last, if not my last interviews, was with um, on Good Day Sacramento. And the guy that was interviewing me, the anchor, co anchor, whatever it is, uh, his name is uh, um, uh, Cody Stark. Uh, super, super sweet guy. And he told me after the interview, he was like, you know what, I don't know what it is about you, man, but like, I just feel so joyful around you. And, and the A B guys that like mic'd you up said the same thing. And the people in the green room said the same. And for whatever reason, that moment, it really sung in for me. I'm like, fuck, maybe that is. That is my thing. Like, what if it doesn't matter what I'm talking about? What if it doesn't matter what my distinctions are or my framework is or my niche or whatever else? What if I'm really just focusing on the most valuable currency we have, which is how I actually lead people and how they feel after an interaction with me? So I say all this to say that one of the first steps for people who may feel like they're stuck is figure out what is it that you activate within people and ask them, like, go to them, go to people that you love and that care about you and that you care about, whether it's your clients or your your friends or your family, whatever. And just say, listen, after an interaction with me, how does it, how do you feel? What kind of impact do I have on you? What do I activate in you? What do you feel? How do you feel differently after we speak? And when I get really clear on that, I start to find ways that I can bring more of that out in the world. I actually use that as a place to center myself into. So before I sit down for a podcast interview like this, or a coaching call, or a sales call, or to do a Facebook Live, I sit there and I say, okay, I am going to activate joy. I am going to activate playfulness. I am going to activate permission and simplicity. And before I do that for others, right now I'm doing it for myself and I'm going to shake out my shoulders and I'm going to just step into this feeling of joy and playfulness and permission to myself to show up as I want to show up and, and, and knowing that I can be simple in what I share and I don't have to be overly smart or polished. And when I seek and activate that into myself and have that intention to activate it in front of whoever I'm talking to that's in front of me, then the how or the what I'm doing kind of just works itself out, if that makes sense.
1: It does make sense. There's so there's a lot to unpack there. That's that's fantastic. First, I love this idea. I was like, that's not me. I got this. I've got this image in my head of who I should be, right? Like, how many yes. of us are? We're like, I gotta find my thing in the world, and we're it's right there, and we don't want to see yep. it. I mean, that's I see that nine times out of ten when I'm working with somebody, it's just it's right under their nose, and it's like, no, no, yes. no, no, I've got to be in really impressive, and I've got to be this other guy. I've got these expectations of who I'm supposed to be. It's like, but this is who you are. Right, this is the right. thing you bring to the world, and it's like, no, 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 no. I want to be S- Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Well, I think this is great. I think there's a belief.
2: I think that's actually <laughs> a really that was, that was that was a little sly and a little Andrew Dice Clay, but it was it was great. I love it. It's great. It's great. It's great. It's great. A little Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I really know. I I love that though because I think the other thing about that, and we can unpack whatever you want, but the other thing about that, I think that I know I have struggled with for so long is that, and this I think comes from maybe from the employee mentality. And I, I kept it with me when I went into being an entrepreneur is that if it's not hard, it's not valuable, right? God, if it's a, easy for me yeah. to do it, it must not be valuable. And that's not the fucking case, man. It's the
1: opposite. No, no. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've watched people uh, to me. It's like, that's, that's the area where we're, we're, we're more concerned with proving something than allowing something. Right there's just this. Oh, I've got, I got if it's not hard, I gotta. Then I'm gonna be seen as lazy or whatever. There's that old. It's some old old programming, which is a lot different than being in that flow of creating and, and understanding how things work. That when you're in that in that zone, it, it doesn't actually feel like effort. You might be putting work into it, but it's not right. striving or effort all the time. There there, there can be, an, but I think that takes some experience of knowing like, oh, this is what it feels like to actually create. Which is a lot different than if we've got an achiever mindset, which is everything is a mountain to climb, everything is a marathon to run, everything is a struggle. And I think that we hang our we can hang our self worth on the struggle and be like, look, I'm enough. See, I'm enough. Yeah, I, I find that that's pretty sad. There's there's a lot of a lot of us out there that are that are kind of trying to reform that and just be enough as we are, and then accept who we are. And that might be. That's a huge, huge door. I remember having a conversation with Brian Johnson. I asked him one time, I said, who would you, what would you do if you'd already, you know, you didn't have anything to prove. And he was like, I think this conversation's over. You know, it was just like, <laughs> <laughs> was it was like, wow, one, yeah. what happens when, when you take that out of your, out of your field, like that's what it's yeah. really about. So I, I love that. Like just recognizing what if I'm not protecting? What if I'm not striving to please? What if I'm not striving to prove? Then I can just allow, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I naturally do. This is what I bring to the world. I can learn things. I can grow. Um, yeah, yeah I, I but love not because it.
2: you're not because you're deficient. Not because there's something missing. And 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 there's this belief too. And believe me, again, this is something that I've had a lot of struggle with. Being you know an uh, being an employee for so long and a very hard driving type A work all the time. Uh, prove your worth so you can move up. Thanks, Dad, for leaving my mom when she was pregnant uh, and and all that stuff. You know, trying to prove myself to everybody. And uh, and it was a really interesting thing for me. To, to take a step back and give myself permission to even, to even work less, right? Like that, that's been a big one for me. Like I will feel guilty if I work less than my team, right? Like, no, 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 I I have to work more than them because that's, that's the way this works. And, and so really, yeah, there's just, there's so much there's so much programming and so much conditioning to be undone around the employee mindset and the proving yourself mindset and that's that's some that's a big work to do man
1: it is big and i and i you know it's a big thing in in my life and in my work it just i i can taste it like oh i'm doing that thing where i've got to prove this isn't actually rooted in whether i'm going to be fine financially or you know what's actually best for my clients or what's best for my business this is just me needing to jack myself up for some reason and yep. That could be one of those places where we could come back to some of those questions that you talked about before, just like to lean into it. It's like, well, what if I didn't have to prove anything? What if I didn't need to exert this and posture that or whatever? And I, there's usually a doorway. It's like, oh, I couldn't just walk through that door. It's like, you could, you could actually. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And you know, what's funny is that I think a lot of people think, and I, and I felt this as well. It's like, if I take my foot off the gas, because, you know, when I was in my corporate job, I took my foot off the gas then maybe I'd be passed over for a promotion or a raise or it would look like I didn't care, God forbid, or or like I was a slacker or whatever else. And to, um, to really slow down and um, ask myself what I think is, oh, okay, so there's a fear uh, for a lot of people and myself included when I was starting to play with this is that if you take your foot off the gas and don't make something the center of your universe, Uh, And don't make it overly significant, then you'll just sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day. Like you just won't do anything. You'll just binge on Netflix and won't do anything at all. And I remember hearing Katie talk about this. I know I reference Katie a lot because she's made such a big difference in my life. But I remember her talking about this one day and I, I, she was talking about just, you know, this, this exact fear, like, oh, but if I, if I truly love what is, then I'll just sit there and not do anything. And she said she remembers one day she really like was in full, you know, full acceptance, full, full of loving what is, and was sitting there and actually had this fear of like, shit, what if I just have no ambition? Like, what if I don't do anything? What if I just sit on the couch for the rest of my life and do nothing? And she said, and then a few minutes later, I had to pee. And so I went up and went, to, and I'm just like, it's so brilliant because she's right. If you're sitting there and you're really truly accepting and you're loving what is something will occur to you to do next without all the distractions of the mind. For her, it was peeing. And it's like, for all of us, like something else will occur if we create the space to allow it to occur.
1: It's the creative force. I think if, if we've, you know, a high performing sheep is still a sheep, right? Like yeah. if, if you, if you if you if you depend on fear and scarcity to get motivated to get going, I, that that's terrifying to me. Like you can have the house and the cars and all of that other stuff, but you still depend on, I, I gotta be terrified. In order to get something going, I don't think we've ever I think if you're in that state of mind, you've never given yourself a chance to ask ask the question, "Who am I without being scared because you never get a sense of what is it that I'm here to create what is it that I'm here to experience and I think those are the the wonderful questions we can we can begin to answer if we give ourselves permission like okay I'm, we're going to be fine we're you know we're at that level like we don't need to have gazillions or or all that status we can actually come back and I can start to instead of asking myself, what do I do today so that everybody at work doesn't think I'm a lazy piece of shit? It's what is it that I want to experience or what is it that I want to create today? I think that's self-leadership now. Instead of being dragged around by the bully of fear, we come back to like, yeah, I don't know how much time I've got on the planet. So what do I want to live? What do I want to experience? And that can be, that's a wide open question, but that's where we, I believe we really start to step into our our own authority and our own leadership.
2: Yeah, a thousand percent. I agree, man. And that's why, you know, it, it sucks when there's some, you know, some uh, tragedy on a mass scale, or even, you know, you have a, a friend or somebody who passes and, and and you have that moment, like, that's it, I'm not wasting time anymore. I'm I'm taking advantage of life, because life could be gone at any moment. <laughs> and then two Thursdays from that, you're back to stressing about all the same bullshit. So it, it, it sucks that yes. it, it takes that, it takes that to do it. But I think this is why cultivating the practice, right, of swinging the five bats of of, of playing with the thoughts when they come up, when a, a client doesn't sign up that you thought was going to sign up, or, you know, your kid gets suspended from school and you're like, ah, fucking little shit. And, you know, wh- whatever it is going on is to practice on those little things. And I feel like everything that we want to experience, uh, peace, joy, uh, creativity, love, abundance, whatever it is that we want to, we want to feel and want to create is our natural state when we don't take the thoughts that tell us otherwise too seriously. Yes. Right. They're allowed to be there. Right. So another one of my mantras is present, but irrelevant, right? Something can be present without it being relevant to my experience. If I'm driving a car down the road and the most sad, depressed, angry, uh, just, just, you know, uh, a- anxious person in the world is sitting next to me in the passenger seat. The car still works the same. It doesn't impact how the steering wheel works. It doesn't impact the breath, the, the brake and the gas pedal. The machine still works the same. Now, if I was focusing on how do I kick this person out of the car, I'm gonna crash the car because I'm not paying attention to the road in front of me. So fine, sit there, you're allowed to be here. You don't have to go and you don't have to stay. Like uh, Jeff Foster, you know Jeff Foster? Have you heard of him before? Uh-uh. Really, really great guy. I think he was like a Belgian astrophysicist who got into like personal growth kind of stuff. And he wrote a book. Uh, it's very funny because it sounds very Katie-ish uh, called uh, Loving Where You Are or something like that. Very, very, very close. It's like <laughs> you just got a thesaurus and then put out a new book. Uh, <laughs> really, really heavily adoring what is present in your experience. It's like, eh, that's a little on nose, bro. Yeah. But, but what I will say, he's a little more poetic in his writing. And he has this one passage in that book, this one kind of poem in that book, where he's having a conversation with sadness and with happiness. And I'm paraphrasing, but sadness says something to the effect of, uh, Hey, I know, I know you don't like me. I know you're not a fan of me. I know you want me to be gone. You know, I'll try to get out as soon as possible. But like, you know, I got to be here for now. And uh, and his response to sadness is, well, who told you you had to leave? Hmm. Who told you, who told you you couldn't be here and happiness. Who told you you had to stay? Who told right. you that like, you're mine? And, and I own it? you have to be here all the time. And, and so if we don't have a a fear of our feelings, uh, as one of my buddies, Christian Michaelson says, he says, all fears are fears of feelings. And when I really take that in, it's like, Oh shit, I'm afraid of feeling alone. I'm afraid of feeling like a failure. I'm afraid of looking like this or looking like that. If I just wasn't afraid of that thing, not like I'm looking forward to it, not like I wanted to be a part of my experience, but if I can say like, you know what, not having a romantic partner, like feeling aloneness. I'm not afraid of you Aloneness, mm-hmm. it's okay. Sadness. I'm not afraid of you. Like I'm not the biggest fan in the world. You're not my favorite person in the world, right. but I'm not afraid of you. And that allows it, I think to be again, present, but irrelevant to my experience.
1: Good stuff, man. I feel like we could, uh, we could just keep wrapping here. This is a lot of fun. We'll have to do Super. it again. Uh, for sure. I'll yeah. Do. Well, tell us a bit about if, if somebody wants to learn more about you, where do they go to, to check out your stuff?
2: uh craigslist no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do they do they still have those on craigslist do they you still in business there <laughs> what truck stop what truck stop were you
2: <laughs> mile marker 97 uh, just south of temecula no i'm kidding uh so best, best places to find me uh, facebook and instagram i am at the Jason Goldberg, because Jason Goldberg was taken. So I got the pretentious The Jason Goldberg. Uh, and uh, and I'll give you a link as well if your listeners want to get a free copy of Prison Break, a digital copy, audio copy, or if you're in the States, you can pay a couple bucks for a, a paperback and I'll ship it to you. Uh, so I'll give you that link so you can uh, you can give that to your audience as well.
1: Sounds good. Give that to me, buddy. Hey, man, I'm so glad we had a chance to connect and looking forward to doing it again. again. Finally.
2: Finally, dude. Yeah, let's not make it six years until we do it again.
1: All right, brother. Much love.
2: Much love, love, love. Peace.
1: If these interviews are helping you, please leave a positive review on whatever podcast app you use so that others can discover the show more easily.